Welcome to Humans in Public Health. I'm Megan Hall. All this week, Brown University School of Public Health is exploring the theme, Public Health is Where You Are. Today, preparing for the next pandemic. Even if it's the last thing we want to think about, this pandemic isn't really over, and it won't be the last one in our lifetimes. That's why Brown's School of Public Health is creating a new pandemic preparedness center. It will be led by Professor Jennifer Nuzzo, who is currently at the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Earlier this year, I sat down with Jennifer to learn more about the center and her decision to join the faculty at Brown. Welcome, Jennifer Nuzzo. Hi, thanks for having me. You're setting up this Pandemic Preparedness Center at Brown. Can you describe what that is going to look like, what it's going to do? I'm really excited um, to start this center because, you know, pandemics, when they do happen, they really touch all of public health. Um, But pandemics also don't just affect public health, they touch all of society. So it's really important when we think ahead to um, combating pandemics in the future, how we can have sort of a whole of society response, how we can avail ourselves of the best um, research and knowledge in other fields, um, not just epidemiology, which is my field, but also um, things like um, economics and um, politics. So, you know, taking a very um, interdisciplinary approach to thinking about pandemics, I think, is key. And, and that's what I think the kind of um, DNA of the Pandemic Center will be. So tell me about that. What kind of team are you hoping to bring together for the center? Yeah, I think it's going to be a mix of sort of scholars who have long track records of, of working on issues that are central to what we struggle with in pandemics, um, as well as people who have had government experience, who have put together teams and have run programs and implemented policies and getting that experience, uh, those experienced um people to kind of, you know, gut check the research, help us to find the appropriate questions, and then also to help us to translate the research findings um, into policies and practices to, to change the world. I mean, I think it's really important that we do the research that generates the knowledge base that we can base our um, pandemic plans on. But if we only publish in journals and nobody ever reads them and nobody ever turns it into policies and practices, the research itself is not going to save us. So we really need to have that translational piece as well. You have a long history of working on pandemics. Why did you decide to come to Brown to set up this center? You, you could have gone anywhere. I am so excited to come to Brown. From sort of the moment I, I stepped on campus in, in the fall, which was my first visit, um, it was clear to me that there's this real spirit of collaboration across the entire university. And that was uh, amazing to me, frankly. I mean, I think probably on a, somewhat of a short notice, uh, meetings were set up um, so that I could uh, connect with different parts of the university. And I truly felt that everybody who met with me um, was just eager and interested in talking about ideas and not at all annoyed that they had to meet with somebody outside of their field. And, and that spirit of collaboration, that's exactly what we need and thinking about pandemics. You know, we need to talk across disciplines and we need to integrate knowledge from different fields and to be at a place where that's just, you know, part of the 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 fabric of the community. I think um I think we could really make some amazing contributions. How do you hope your center will build on that work that's already been done at Brown? Having kind of a, a focal point at the, the school and within the university for these issues, I think will make sure that the kind of momentum in terms of 
growing the evidence base and translating research to practice to make sure that keeps happening. But um, I view really the center as a way to continue to amplify the work of others. And I think there's been so much great research that may not have just been seen by the, the eyes that need to see it. And so I think using the center as a platform, what we can really do is to amplify the important contributions of others so that we can make better sense of the world and figure out how to save it. A lot of us sort of want to put the pandemic in the past and just forget about it and pretend that it's never going to happen again. So what's your pitch for why we need a center devoted to this now when we're kind of trying to say that it's all over? Yeah, that's actually my biggest fear um, is that this pandemic, COVID-19, has been extraordinarily challenging. And I think there are many people, and I feel this way from time to time, who are just, you know, holding our breath, waiting for it to be over in hopes that once it is over, that somehow we'll be good for the next 100 years. But unfortunately, uh, that's not the world that we live in. The world that we live in is basically conducive to the continued emergence of new pathogens. When these pathogens emerge, that they can spread very quickly, and that creates increasing threat of pandemics. I've been trying to search for sort of new metaphors to help people think about it. And part of, I think, the problem is that this pandemic is invisible for many. I was actually asked to give a TED Talk in December, and I came up with, you know, the idea of using a fire analogy. Baltimore, 1904. A lit cigarette was left in the basement of the six-story Hearst building. Within a half an hour, the fire grew to an out-of-control conflagration. And when it was finally extinguished, the burnt district, as it was called, spanned more than 80 blocks. The story of the Great Baltimore Fire of 1904 is important for a few reasons. To this day, it is one of the largest urban conflagrations in U.S. history. But the Great Fire is remarkable not just for its tolls, but for what happened afterwards. Witnessing the devastation that was caused by a single unattended cigarette prompted massive change in how Baltimore and the rest of the country protect itself against urban fires. I think we have to start thinking about pandemic threats like that and figure out, okay, let's stop debating whether one is going to happen and whether the virus in our midst is, is real or not. Let's roll up our sleeves and try to figure out how we can reduce the frequency and severity of these events. We need solutions that don't just involve stopping our lives for three years. We need to equip people to be able to protect themselves and remove the barriers that currently prevent them from doing that. So what are some of the things that we can do to be more prepared for pandemics? The large items are, you know, paid sick leave, reducing people's inability to access health care and health care in not pandemic times, health care outside of a pandemic so that when a pandemic happens, there's a bit more trust in the system than we have now so that when somebody says this vaccine really is safe and effective and I recommend that you take it, that there isn't that that hill of distrust that you have to overcome. So some of those things we have to, to work on the bigger ticket items. But I do think that our culture has changed a bit. We have tools now in our midst um, that will remain useful. We have rapid tests, uh, we have masks, and even if mandates are going away, these tools remain useful and we can still use them to protect ourselves. Um, I think there are other items like trying to improve um, ventilation in buildings so that buildings don't become super spreaders <laughs> themselves. Frankly, we, I think we need better data because part of the problem is that we've not been able to tell people with specificity how they can protect themselves. We just told them to stay home if they could 
for a few years. And that, frankly, is not a very nuanced message. And it needs to be more nuanced because that is very difficult. Some people can do it with some ease, but a lot of people just simply couldn't. Um, so what are the real environments that drive transmission? Uh, what are the practices that are particularly risky? And how can we make both of those safer? It's interesting that one of your top solutions for making pandemics less frequent was just sort of like taking better care of each other, which that's surprising. That's not what I expected you to say. Yeah. So taking better care of each other. Now, I, that probably sounds improbable to most people. I mean, I think with the level of polarization and frankly, rancor that has just gone on over the last um, few years and certainly still persists today, I think that feels insurmountable. I think there are people who think that we will never get ourselves together. And I very much feel that way too some days. But I have over the past now two plus years have had the privilege of connecting with literally thousands of people who I would have not had um, the opportunity to connect with otherwise. I've done so many different um, engagements with different groups. You know, frankly, I've made friends uh, around the world that I would have never um, gotten to know because of, of this pandemic. And in talking to all of those people, you just don't feel that rancor. We have different views. We have different life experiences. But at the end of the day, we all want the same thing, which is to take care of ourselves and our families. And we may disagree on the best way to do that. But through these conversations, I have been able to better understand people. And I think that at the end of the conversation, they seem to have a different view of, of things than when they started the conversation. So I really hope that we can continue to do that and kind of build the, the social connections and cohesion and, and trust that um, we may feel like we're currently lacking. I don't think I want to know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask anyway. When do you think we're going to have the next pandemic? So I don't know. I wish I did, um, because I think having a timeline like that would get people to act, um, as opposed to thinking at some, you know, possibility way off in the future. Prior to COVID-19, I used to hear from people who'd say, it just feels like there's like some new virus all the time now. And I would say, yeah, yeah, it does feel that way, because that's actually what's happening. I mean, if you just look at the kind of TikTok of, of all of the, the new pathogens that have emerged, you know, in the span of my career, it's extraordinary. We live in a global world, whether we like it or not. And so what happens in one part of the world um, very often becomes a problem for another part of the world. How do you hope that the center at Brown will help all of us be more prepared? Well, first of all, I think we're going to be generating a lot of the knowledge that is just currently missing. Um, that there is no doubt there are just things that we need to learn and we need the academic community, we need researchers and scholars to help us address so that we can generate evidence to make our um, plans better and more effective. Um, so that's one way. We're not going to just publish in journals and that'll be the end of it. I mean, we're going to make sure that people who need to know about the discoveries that we're making will know. And that knowledge translation piece will continue to be important. So to work with policymakers and decision makers, you know, not just in governments, but also um, private sector organizations, community groups, et cetera, just to make sure that they, they have the information and to push for policies and practices and if needed laws. And then there's education. And that remains, I think, a central and critical uh, role um, for future preparedness, not just educating the next generation of pandemic leaders, um, but also educating the public. 
again, coming back to my fire analogy, we still have fires, but we are so much better able to respond to them that we minimize both loss of life and, you know, other damages um, as a result of that readiness. And I think that's sort of what we have to strive for for pandemics. We can both try to end COVID-19 as an emergency and continue to think about the next threat and what could be around the corner and make sure that we're not blindsided again. Jennifer Nezzo, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was a privilege. Dr. Jennifer Nezzo is a senior scholar at the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. She'll be joining Brown School of Public Health later this year to lead a new pandemic preparedness and response center. You've been listening to Humans in Public Health, a special series for National Public Health Week. Humans in Public Health is brought to you by Brown University School of Public Health. This episode was produced by Tino Della Merced. I'm Megan Hall. Talk to you tomorrow.